So it yeah. all comes full circle. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. So that was fun. Welcome to What the Hell is a Pastor, a podcast about life and set-apart ministry. Join us each week as we sit down to talk about the experiences and challenges of pastoral life and PhD life, and invite others to join us as we all try to figure out what the hell it is that pastors do and how to do it as best we can. Listeners, this week on the podcast, we have another special guest. Liam is here to talk about what it's like to be an associate and to talk about, um, you know, some certain pastoral transitions that have happened in his life. So before we give him the floor, we just kind of wanted to do a quick round robin on our weeks. Uh, because for those of you who have been waiting with bated breath to see what's happening in the resistance, uh, the county commissioners didn't vote to move the statue. We had a protest, uh, as expected. There was a counter protest that uh, the county commissioner, one of the county commissioners went to. The county commissioners also Ooh. approved to uh, take the Confederate flag and the plaques off of the statue, which is not what we wanted. So now we're going to get blamed for that, we think. We've had uh, cigarette butts flicked at us as we protest. I had a gentleman drive up to my church when I was there by myself and tell me very forcefully from his truck that he thought I should leave because I was doing devil's work. Uh, and I had a lot of conversations with people from my church after that to be like, so how are we really thinking about this statue? And I made a lot of good progress, uh, but I'm not out protesting anymore. I'm doing a lot of like behind the scenes educational stuff, which is really more my speed anyway. Uh, and also Asheville's on fire because it's not literally on fire. We're not setting things on fire. But there's been a lot of protests in Asheville because a black man was killed by uh, prison guards in Winston-Salem. And so we are monitoring that situation as it goes. So it's been a shit show. I also started my first in-person worship service at my new church and was 10 minutes late because I forgot to get gas. So it's been a week. It's been a mm. week. <laughs> Ethan, how's your week? Um, well, n that kind of stuff isn't necessarily happening. Should we process, uh, I'm sure you've already have processed, but should we process some of that stuff? Because, you know, getting flicked with cigarette butts and, and now, now it being brought to, you know, there, there's a boundary now that's crossed where, mm -hmm. where folks are coming to the church and, and, um, publicly screaming and admitting that they worship you know, false gods and, and that, <laughs> that they, they, uh, they shamelessly are like tearing down a Confederate statue is paramount to killing Jesus again. <laughs> uh, gosh. Yeah. Um, if we don't have another topic for a mini-sode, I think let's talk about maybe church security and how we feel about it in a mini-sode. Cause that's, we've since gone forward with purchasing a security system 
which has been like many projects at my church was has been approved for years but nobody ever did anything about it um and i'm not going to be at the church by myself anymore which is kind of a bummer um because i just i get a lot of work done by myself and there's just a lot of work that i do that people don't know that i do that's behind the scenes stuff that now i'm gonna have to like ask others to do um, so I don't, I don't necessarily want to process it right now, but let's sure. flag it for future processing. So Sounds keep good. on listening listeners. We'll, we'll tell you. We'll, we'll come, we'll, we'll come around to that. Um, I'm doing okay. I'm still waiting for classes to start. I got a number of orientations that are coming up starting next week. Um, my grad, there's an orientation for the graduate school at UVA that I have to uh, go to that's going to be a, a nine-hour orientation via in person via zoom. no zoom. Oh, zoom thank god um and and then uh they a couple of people so it, it none of how do i want to word it so it's not in person it's all zoom but there's an option where uh for for networking purposes um because that's really important in doctoral work like networking is it's how you you know, particularly now, that's how you get a job right. is, is you, you meet somebody who found a job <laughs> and you go, are there other jobs? <laughs> mm-hmm. You make friends who will speak well of you. <laughs> right, right. Um, for networking purposes, you could also, uh, in the middle of um, the, uh, the graduate school orientation, you could sign up to get a boxed lunch outside on grounds at UVA like they'll they'll hand you like a sandwich you could be like here sit six feet apart on the lawn and uh, eat your sandwich and yell at each other and I was like I'm not gonna do that (laughs) (laughs) that sounds fine there are other opportunities to network Uh, I'll use those opportunities I'm not gonna sit in my house do a zoom thing drive to grounds eat a sandwich and then drive home like I'm not gonna do that um, and then I also have my religious studies department orientation uh, at the end of next week and, as well. And so there's those two. Um, and that's exciting. That'll be good. And then uh, Friday, I have a Zoom um, thing that the department signed up for where we are going to uh, participate in a manuscript reading of uh, – Dr. Vincent Lloyd's newest book that's not out yet. Dr. Vincent Lloyd is a black political liberation theologian philosopher guy. And I've, we've talked about his work in the podcast. I, I like it. He, he's, I, I think his, his interesting work. And uh, he's got a new book that's coming out next year called Black Dignity. And, um, and he's going to be reading parts of the manuscript and talking about it. And, and there's going to be a couple of other people that are coming too that are, that are going to like kind of respond to it formally and kind of pose questions to him. And um, the, the department is paying for students to like doctoral and graduate students to be able to participate, to like watch it. And then, you know, kind of at the end of it, pose questions or whatever. And so, so it's at no cost to me. So I was like, wow, that sounds cool. Like I like Vincent Lloyd. I think that's cool. And so I, I sent an email and I was like, to, to, the, to the contact person, I was like, yes, please sign me up for that. I'd love it. And so they sent me the Zoom link for Friday, and then they sent me a PDF of his book, which I did not yeah. expect. 
Yeah. And, and I was I was like, we get the book? And, and they were like, yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is mine now. <laughs> Thank you. you. The book that's not published yet? Yeah, here it is. Oh, all right then. <laughs> all right then. And so I've uh, been reading that slowly, and it's it's very good. Vincent Lloyd, we, we've talked when we talked about him. One of the things that I really like about him is how good of a writer he is. The in the theology world, listeners, you don't need to be a great writer. You you you, you just sometimes you're just not a good writer, and and instead the work is very technical and very um, um, hard to read. It's particularly that way when when you're reading translations of work, like not all the translations are always very good. The three of us know that, but uh, Vincent Lloyd uh, is really a good writer. And so it's actually quite fun to read his work. He's, he's clear and he's articulate and, 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 and often um, uh, haunting. I find a lot of what he says very haunting in this book. He's, He's making a case for for a, re, a reclaiming of the of a black intellectual tradition, and and he he's worked on that a little bit in a past book, and this book he he really dives in like this this is a book that he really sees as a response to the Black Lives Matter movement, not really a response, but a but like a. a something that's born from it, you know, like the black, he, he really looks at the black lives matter movement as, as a turning point in black intellectual, you know, work and thought And, and um, this book is, is really meant to kind of craft a framework maybe, you know, and, and for how black folks can think and act uh, on, you know, in the midst of Black Lives Matter. And so each chapter of the book is a, is a hashtag is, oh. a, is a black life. So like black rage, black love, black families, black, uh, like hashtag black rage, you know, and all this stuff. And uh, it's cool. I like it. It's also really my last word on it. It's also really autobiographical. Like Vincent Lloyd is, is a very light skinned black person. Mm-hmm. And and in the introduction, he just reflects on um, he grew up in Minnesota, and he ref- and and he reflects on um, when he remembers um, being aware, not only that he was black, but like being aware that that his life was impacted by being black. And so, like his, he reflects on his first book because his first book, uh, which I read, which which I thought was really interesting, um, really does not. He he does he describes that book as not being very racially conscious. Like he he makes this big turn to European kind of political philosophy, and and really writes of his first book kind of in that vein. And so there's. He reflects on his first book really having a lot more in common with kind of continental philosophy and stuff. And he's like, and he, and he thinks that's great. He's like, he's, I still like European philosophy a lot. I still think it's great. But like, I, I didn't really become a radicalized black man until I, <laughs> until I started teaching and then still until I kind of um, found myself in it. And, and so he, he wrote about um, spending a year in Ferguson you know, mm. a year after Ferguson or so and, and, and uh, reflecting on, on some really kind of painful things and, and 
you know, all of the ways he, he remembers sort of being targeted. Like he spent, he, he spent some time, he studied at university of Chicago and he reflected on being uh, beaten uh, by a group of black teenagers. He was jumped and beaten mm-hmm. by a group of black teenagers because they thought he was white. Mm-hmm. And then when the cops showed up, because they were called, they almost didn't save him because the cops thought he was black. Wow. And, and it took him like, it took him like bringing out his university of Chicago ID card for the cops to even get involved. Like the cops, the cops were just going to kind of let it all happen. And, and just like that kind of dichotomy I thought was really interesting, but yeah. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. There's And there's a little bit of resonance there with um, what we talked about with Dr. Robin, where they didn't feel uh, white coded until they got in academia and how yeah. like they're in academia, there is this push to have to engage with the big voices that we've always heard in the tradition. But like mm-hmm. once you step outside of that, it's a different world. So absolutely. Yeah, I appreciate that. Once that's out, um, We'll like, we'll come on the podcast, Dr. Lloyd. We Dr. Lloyd, yeah. Yeah, that all sounds really exciting. So Liam, now that you have sat and listened to us chat about our times, uh, will you introduce yourself in as much information as you're uh, comfortable and then kind of tell us, tell us a little bit about being an associate and then tell us the developments in recent weeks, months of your life and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Um... My name's Liam. I am, I was an associate pastor. I'm not with the Methodist uh, church. I'm with another denomination. And so we don't have like placements. Um, we kind of have to do job interviews for every place we go to. Uh, and that also makes our council, like the council members in the congregation, essentially our bosses. Um, we have to make sure they're all happy or we lose a job. And in many cases, it's losing also your housing because there are some places that still do parsonages. And yeah, uh, I know the pastor who is there right now, like if they decided to kick him out, he would be homeless because they do not really have a lot. You know, being a pastor doesn't pay well. So, and whenever they give you a parsonage, it pays even worse. And so like, I know his savings is minimal. They would be essentially homeless. Uh, if they if they decided that one day he just they had enough, um, and then you have to just kind of wait for like what I'm doing now, waiting for places to open up, and places that are offering decent pay to move over there or wherever they are and find a house and essentially move your entire life. Um, but this church, uh, I found I was actually shown. Uh, Somebody actually talked to me and said they were hiring an associate pastor like three years ago and they, I, I went in, applied for the position. They liked me. I had to then give a, a sermon. Uh, so they liked how I, so then the entire congregation could hear how I preached. I did that. And then the day, a couple like weeks before I found out that the senior pastor was leaving. Uh, and the senior pastor kind of just told me, he's like, so do you still want this position knowing that they're going to go through this whole transition? I said, yeah, that'll be fine. Uh, did that. So my first year of actual ministry, which was the very first year I actually got to do like any paid ministry. Um, I 
had about three months of or two months with this pastor who had been there for a couple years um, and everybody loved them. And then I was the new guy who just kind of took over the church for about four months uh, until our interim pastor could come in and kind of help the transition process. And our interim pastors kind of get everything up to date uh, for this church. It was a lot of organizational stuff that had kind of gone by the wayside. So we did a lot of organization stuff, um, organizing the council, organizing the elders and deacons, getting them up to date on what they're supposed to be doing. And it was a lot of good work. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't know what their responsibilities as council members were. Um, And so those, you know, that happened for a year and that interim many times was like, blame stuff on me. I'm going to be out of here. I'm not going to be here long. If people are unhappy with changes or things we're trying, blame it on me. And I was like, Oh, that's fine. (laughs) That works. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And, and so this all worked really well. And then they finally selected uh, a new senior pastor I was asked numerous times if I was going to apply for that. And I was like, no, I, I didn't. Because as an associate, my first year of ministry was just kind of keeping the church afloat and keeping services going. And then during the interim pastor period, I got to actually dig in with the youth group, uh, which is usually when you say associate pastor, nine times out of 10, they mean you're a youth pastor with mm-hmm. additional responsibilities. Um, so I was in charge of the youth group, uh, the young adult group, uh, and all online presence, which before COVID was our Facebook page and our website. I kept the website up to date and I started live streaming our services on, or live streaming our sermons on Facebook, uh, which got mixed reviews. Some people really liked it and some people was were really annoyed with the fact that I had a camera in uh, the in the sanctuary uh, yeah and now they also didn't want to spend money on doing all this so I kind of used my own like webcam and just put it on a little tripod and, and was in the second row of the church just filming the service um, people didn't like it it was distracting and there was a bunch of other reasons why they just didn't particularly think it was important uh, and during that time, I started, we, my, my spouse and I, we started a young adult ministry there where they did min, uh, monthly activities and stuff. Our youth group, while not growing, was actually understanding the Bible. Nice. Uh, yeah, because uh, one of the questions I asked them, like, you know, when you first get there, you're like, okay, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Uh, the best answer I got was it means you do good things. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, we need to dig that in, like, actually give you an understanding of who Jesus is. <laughs> it, like, the answer needs to at least involve Jesus. Right. Uh, so really dug in there, made a young adult group, and I actually started a D&D ministry there as well. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, that turned out to be one, that turned out that year to be the fastest growing ministry they had. Hmm. Uh, We had about 17 people, uh, 15 of which uh, had no church affiliation, come to the church and learn D&D and get involved and start asking, actually start asking questions about 
some of the weird Bible posters we have hanging around. Yeah. So that was good stuff. Uh, then COVID hit. And when COVID hit, uh, a lot of the congregation, like many other churches, didn't think it was that important, didn't think it was that dangerous of a thing, didn't understand why we couldn't meet in person anymore, got very angry at uh, the state for saying we shouldn't really meet in person. And I then took it on myself to start uh, weekly videos of you know, moments to just encourage people, moments to give motivation to people, whatever they kind of needed. And we could dig into Bible verses or we could dig into topics. Uh, I got the senior pastor in on that, even though he doesn't know how to really use the internet at all Uh, and doesn't have a Facebook and doesn't want Facebook. And so all this stuff that was going on Facebook wasn't ever going to be seen by him. So I started then their YouTube page and their YouTube page kind of became the main focus then. And we live streamed the YouTube, we live streamed his services that he would do his sermons. Uh, and we'd live stream whenever I preached, I would live stream my sermons. And then when we moved into outside services, like parking lot stuff, um, we live streamed that and I kept adjusting our cameras and kept adjusting how we did things to make sure it worked well and worked a little better. Um, and then in July they moved inside, uh, which I was not happy about. And I know my spouse wasn't happy about and a lot of people weren't. Um, but right before that, uh, whenever black lives matter movement really started taking off and like, racism became a topic of conversation uh i became very vocal about being like yeah like black lives do matter like (laughs) yes yes that is a good statement we all need to agree with this uh and my spouse also posted something about that and it became that we got i got asked uh if the pastor could have a meeting with my spouse hmm which I don't know why he didn't just call her, but he decided to go through the husband, I guess he felt was the, I don't know. I have no idea why he would do that. Your, but your was, wife is your property. We all know yeah. that. You know, <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, but your, your wife doesn't work for the, your spouse doesn't work for the church. Nope. Nope. She is, uh, she has her own business. So nice. Yeah. Which has been, you know, a nightmare during this time, but it is what it is. Uh, Yeah, so we got, she was asked to have a meeting with the pastor. So I was like, well, if we, you know, meet outside, sure. Like, let's meet outside with masks and let's do that. Uh, When we got there, there was another gentleman there. One gentleman that we know is not, has not been a a fan of me, (laughs) for a couple of months and has not been a fan of uh, people pointing out racism. Cool. Yes. Uh, And he essentially told us that it was, that systemic racism wasn't a thing. Um, Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, And that during during this time, my wife, it actually 
all started, this whole like snowball started because my spouse decided to ask a question of my church conference, which was end of the church itself that I worked at and saying, you know, what, you know, this is a big question of, of race relationships and, and, you know, reconciliation and, and, you know, racism. What is our church doing? What are we doing to have this conversation? Mm -hmm. Uh, Within a week, uh, my conference had a video up where they addressed her question in their video and, and talked with some of the, um, uh, some of the black pastors in our conference. And, and they were at like, luckily it was decently well done. All the white pastors were asking the black pastors, what do we do? Like, we don't know what we're doing. What would you suggest we do? And so our black pastors in our conference, like gave resources, gave suggestions, had an actual dialogue, which was pretty good. Um, and they addressed her question like, they mentioned that her question was there and then addressed it, which is good. And then we didn't hear anything back from the church at all. But, you know, I, I kind of brought that up that this question was there and the senior pastor not having Facebook didn't really understand that this was something that needed to be addressed and needed to be responded to. And so just kind of let it go. And then a couple weeks later, he gets wind of that this is actually really bad uh, press for the church and that my spouse is attacking the church by having this post up. Uh, And then had, then we had this, you know, confrontation. We had this meeting. Uh, Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. It it was an absolute, uh, it was a shit show. I can say that. <laughs> I can say, yeah. I can, yeah. uh, finally, uh, yeah. finally, I yeah. can finally say it. it was a just, it was a terrible, terrible experience. We got there, saw that this person was there and we were like, okay, well now we are going in on this feeling ambushed. Mm-hmm. So this isn't good. Uh, and during this conversation, they belittled her, uh, ha- belittled, her as as an individual and as somebody who has an opinion and is has a voice uh essentially wanted her just to stop just stop making mention of things uh and we were told you know there is no such thing as racism or systemic racism and racism only is whenever you are doing something mean to somebody because you believe your race is superior to theirs and I you mean, have to have that supremacy, but that's yeah. not just racism. Yeah. Uh, and it, but we were very like, you know, we we're like, okay, well, what if like we had an example of, we had an, an Indian woman come in uh, and her family come in months before the pandemic. And as like, you know, people wanted, wanted to get to know the new people. Uh, and one of our old ladies who, is a very nice old woman, but it's, you know, old white woman goes up to her and says, you look so interesting. Ooh. Yeah. We never saw them again. Surprise. Uh, and, 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 and my wife brought that up being like, you know, what is, is that racist? If, if that woman, if, if that Indian woman came to you and said that I felt like that was racism, what would you respond with? And they said, well, that we would tell her that wasn't racism. 
you dummy. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, good. The white guy, the white straight guys get to tell everybody what racism is, even when those people say, I think that was racist. Yeah. Indian as in from India. From India, okay. yeah. Just double yeah, Not Native American. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. What a, yeah. what a so, joy. Yeah. So we went home and I, I love my wife. She was like, write down what you experienced. Mm-hmm. Write it down right now. I'm going to write it down too. So we both have accounts of that meeting. Hers is very much like each jab they did at her, she has written down. I have a much more poetic, I guess, version of it. Uh, mainly because there were a couple phrases that stuck out to me. Uh, one was the senior pastor repeatedly said, I don't think this will take much time. Ha. Uh, and another saying that he was just very busy. He was very busy. I don't think this will take much time. Uh, and so like that, that is found throughout this recording of, of uh, this document of that I wrote because like the, the entire discussion of, of the identity and the humanity of somebody. Well, just telling, you know, a congregant to stop posting things that are affirming people's, you know, humanity, that shouldn't take much time to just tell them to stop. <sighs> but yeah, so that's where like, it kind of started. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where the snowball started. Um, and it started pretty big because at that point, we were kind of like, I'm going to start looking for other places. Yep. I'm going to start this search of, of finding somewhere else. Uh, but we're not going to stop because what we're doing is simply saying, Hey, black people matter. Black lives matter. Black trans lives matter. Like it's, it, it isn't political to say that a human is a human. Like, but they didn't like that. So then my, I had preached two times since then. And both times I uh, used the prophets and talked about how, well, actually the one time I used the prophets, the other time I used the new Testament. I don't remember which book I used. I think it was James. Uh, talked about, you know, how we are called to uphold righteousness and uphold justice. And whenever justice is not found in our systems, when we find injustice in our systems, we need to remove them. We need to reform our systems that are full of racism, full of prejudice, full of corruption. Uh, And we also have had, have, I think they still have a judge uh, in their in their uh, congregation, and Ooh. yeah, I know he didn't like that. Mm. I know he didn't like that, but I know a lot of people didn't like my messages at that time, and that's fine because they didn't like the gospel. It's that's, <laughs> um, they're not gonna like anything at that point, you know. Yeah, yeah. I got told uh, our conference uh released things that were good recommendations of things people to read to learn more about uh racism learn more about uh the struggle of of the black community the struggle of minorities in america and i was told by a couple people that those were radical uh that many of those passage many of those uh books and recordings are radical things that we you know it's just all political and i said man I didn't say this to them. I wish I did, but it's, man, you would really be thinking Jesus is super radical then. Like <laughs> you must think Jesus is just the most radical person because man, cause well, he is, 
but yeah. you would not like him. <laughs> yeah, uh, white fragility is not something that is necessarily like Jesus approved, right? Like, yeah. Jesus is not necessarily about fragility. He's about calling people uh, whitewashed tombs. It's yeah. a little, it's a lot. Yeah. Uh, so they, uh, at this time also, I got, there's a, there was a retired pastor in this congregation and he wanted to meet with me. And so I met with him and he just was like, I like your messages. He's like, you're, you're act, you are preaching the gospel. You are preaching the Bible. There is nothing wrong with your messages, but there are people that, uh, do not like it. People are calling me and complaining about you. Uh, and he was, he just kind of gave me a heads up of being like, you know what, if you haven't started pretty much start looking for other places. Cause I don't know how long you're going to be here. Um, which I, I had already understood. Um, and then, and, and during this whole time, I've been doing online stuff with our D&D group. I've been doing online stuff with our youth and our young adults. And repeatedly, people were asking my secretary and the senior pastor and this retired pastor, what were they paying me for? Hmm. I was also the only one that's still streaming stuff online. Um, so anything they, they have online is, is because of the work that I was doing, but they didn't see that. Um, so weeks go by, still working on stuff and not really getting any hits for churches in the area that would pay me a living wage. Uh, yeah, uh, most of them were like, we want you 10 hours a week, including Sundays We'll pay you, you know, I think it was like $12 an hour, essentially. Uh, yeah, but they also wanted to have all their activities still happen. So it's still like do full time, but just get paid for 10 hours, uh, which was really depressing to see. And then let me see what happened next. Oh, then I got back home from a council meeting one our first council meeting we had back in the building uh and i had been going down and making sure that like everything was six feet apart um mm -hmm. but it was also it was like very muggy downstairs so i opened up the windows and our ac i didn't see was on it, i didn't think it was on or whatever i don't know uh but i opened up the windows and so and to try to cool off the place and I get home then from that council meeting and find out that one of our board members was very angry about that. Was very angry that somebody had opened the windows and somebody had turned off the AC and I'm assuming yelled at his wife because then his wife called me to yell at me, but didn't yell at me because wanted to talk to my wife. So then talked to my wife and complained about me for two hours. Holy shit. Yes. Also, I assume this board member was at the meeting that we were all at with the windows open. Just say the windows are open. Let's close them. Oh my goodness. Yes. Whew, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and then the next day, you know, my wife hadn't been back to church since the, you know, she didn't feel comfortable going inside. And I understood that I didn't feel comfortable going inside. Um, but I, you know, was required to for my job. So I did. And so my wife like was like, okay, well, we, we had one car at the time. So we needed to 
adjust things for how we were going to get around one day. So she dropped me off at work, but was like, I still have a half hour to kill. Do you want to just come inside and just hang out for that half hour? And, or do you want to just sit in the car? She's like, I'll come into your office. So she was in my office for a couple minutes. And then my, uh, this woman comes in who had called the night before to complain about me to my wife. Uh, and, and wanted to talk about some of the things that she talked about with my wife, which was that people were calling her to complain about me and that she had felt abandoned by me during the pandemic because whenever it was like the shelter in place in, in PA uh, and you were not supposed to go uh, to work if you could, and I could just stay home and, and do all my work from there, uh, I apparently was the only one who did that. Uh, the senior pastor still went in and the secretary still went in. They both knew I was staying in place, obeying the law. And they felt very abandoned by me during that time and just kind of held on to that. And so she then was also told any complaints that, you know, people gave to her, she just held on to. And she kind of amplified to herself because these people were commenting about posts that I had done on Facebook, um, which were all, you know, Hey, God calls us to, to love everybody, including, you know, black people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they didn't like that. Uh, so, and, and this, this woman also didn't have, uh, Facebook. So people are telling her Facebook posts and she is just, and they're attacking, they're telling her these things while they're angry. And then she takes on their anger and just held on to that for a couple months and then came into my office that day and wanted to just blow up at me. Hmm. I wanted to just tell me all these terrible things and why I'm so bad, but my wife was there. So she's starting these kind of things and starting to tell some of these things. And my wife says, okay, well, we're hearing all this is this a safe space that I can tell you like what I'm feeling? Uh, the woman says, no, she says, no, it is not safe. And so, it's, and right. my wife's like, yeah, my wife's like, okay, well, I feel like very unloved by that. <laughs> and at which point the woman got up in a huff and left the room and said, how dare you say, I don't love you how dare you say that we are in an unloving church, which wasn't stated, but uh, all this is happening. And my office is very, was very close to the senior pastors. He her, overheard this. He would have had to. And he comes in, looks at my wife and says, do you have an appointment? What? She's sitting in my office. This woman came in unannounced and he had the audacity to ask my wife if she had an appointment and said, well, we have a lot of work that we have to get done here today. What? So maybe you need to make an appointment next time. Yes. I would have quit that instant. Like I would, there would have been no question in my mind. I would have walked out and sent somebody else for my stuff. I, oh my goodness. Yeah. I, I almost did quit that day. Yeah, the only thing that stopped me was the fact that I didn't want to do that to the youth that we had uh, yeah. because a lot of them 
struggle with depression. Uh, there be, I, I think it was like that week or the week before I had like two calls about suicide. Um, okay. one was, one was a youth, one was a young adult. Uh, yeah, like that's kind of like, uh, <laughs> and people ask what, what was I being paid for? Um, right. <laughs> just the, the preservation of our young people. No big deal. Yeah, just, you know, helping them feel loved and, and accepted for who they are and standing beside them as they struggle through life because life sucks. But what was I getting paid for? It was probably too much anyways. Uh, so yeah, that was insane. Um, but that was, that was the day I was like, all right. So at the end of this month, uh, and I had picked, I, my, I talked to my wife when we got home that night, we're like, all right, so what, when do I want to leave? When is the best time for me to leave? I was like, well, I said I would do VBS. Um, so what if I give my two weeks notice like right after VBS? And we were like, all right, that works. Uh, at the next council meeting, I found out that they had decided to do mid-year reviews, which had never been done before. For, for the first time. For I the first why. time ever. They decided to do mid-year reviews oh during a pandemic. Oh my God. Sorry. Sorry, God. Yeah. So they decided to do that. And they, they first went to the secretary. They then went to the senior pastor. And I know exactly why they did that. It's a very easy strategy of we need to make it look like we didn't do this just to fire him. We did this because we needed to review everybody. So they reviewed the two other people before me. Uh, and then they waited until the week before VBS or the Friday before VBS started, which started on Sunday. And they called me and said, hey, we want to do our mid-year review on Tuesday. And I said, it is VBS week. No. Yeah. In my head, I'm like, uh, no, because the next week I'm giving my two weeks notice. Why do that? Right. Why should I have to go through all that crap? Uh, so I'm like, no, 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 it's VBS week. I'm completely booked uh, because, you know, you only pay me for 28 hours and I've been working 50 hour weeks during a pandemic. So no. And it's VBS. Like it's too much. Uh, and they're like, okay, okay. Well, I'll, and I said, I how can we do the week after or the week after that? Because that my weeks are much calmer after VBS. And I was told, okay, well, let me call the other officers and see what, uh, what they can do. I got a call back two hours later saying it will be Friday morning. That is non-negotiable. I do not work on Fridays. Thursday and Fridays are my days that I don't go into the office. So I was already going into the office for VBS on Thursday, which was our final night. And then I had to go on Friday. Uh, but it was that day. It was on, it was the Friday before I was like, all right, I'm going to send in my, I'm going to give my two weeks notice on Monday. Like they've, they've decided it. I'm, I, they are, they are looking for a reason to fire me. Um, the week following up to that, actually the senior pastor sat me down and told me that uh, his ex experience of being pushed out of a church and how hard it was and he wishes he would have left uh, on his own terms. Hint, hint, wink, wink. So he can't. Sorry, that's gonna be. I'm gonna have to edit that out because it's gonna be really should, aggressive. You should have been like. You should have been like. Do you think you're getting pushed out? <laughs> like, is that like? Is this? Are you confiding in me? Oh man, I I wouldn't worry about. It. I think people like you a lot. <laughs> man, I, that would have. 
That would have been good. That would have been good. It would have been a lot easier to do if he didn't want to do it inside uh, and like three feet away from me during a pandemic where all I'm thinking of is <laughs> where all I'm thinking of is like, I know people who've gotten sick and, and have had horrible experiences with this thing. So I'm happy that I get to be really close to you who has not given a crap about this at all. Oh my God. It just, it's just that he has had the experience of being pushed out of a church. You'd think that yeah. he would have sympathy, empathy, something for the person who is getting pushed out of a church right now. Like, now, in his defense, I think he did. I think that's how he resonates his, he feels sorry for me. So he wants to give me this heads up that I should probably think about leaving soon. But, you know, he's in his mind, I know his mind was thinking like at the end of the year. Oh. I know in his mind, he wasn't thinking it would be so soon. So I'm like, okay, yeah, that's, that's good advice. Uh, I do feel like uh, there's a lot of people that just don't like me. He's like, yeah, there are some people in uh, certain leadership positions that uh, are not happy with your performance. And I'm like, yeah, like my secretary and all the people on the board who don't like me because I'm not the old senior pastor. At this point, also, I'm the senior member of, like, of the staff. I'm the person who's been there the longest. Wow. <laughs> so, and I'm, and so I'm, I, I know, like, I knew the numbers were stacked against me at this point. I knew during transitions, uh, associate, uh, associate pastors don't last longer than three years often. Mm -hmm. Like, our, our average dropout rate is two years. And it's because everything is, anything that the senior pastor doesn't want to do is thrown onto them. Mm-hmm. And for me, that was everything with the youth, everything that was for people under 50 and everything that had to do with anything online, which was for a couple months, everything. Right. So. But we can't understand why young people don't come to church anymore. <laughs> right. Oh. However, D&D &D seems to work real well with them. <laughs> that seemed to draw them in very easily. But no, um, yeah, so, like, then that Monday, I just kind of went to him, and for months, he had been complaining about how hard he was taking a class and how hard it was and stuff, and I was like, cool. Well, right before your class, I need to talk to you. So, right before his class, I'm like, yeah, I'm done. Like, this is my two weeks. So, how do you want me to tell the council? How do you want me to tell the congregation? Because I've never done this before. So, he was like, okay, well, let's tell the congregation on Sunday, and contact the elders and the, the deacons and the council today. So I let everybody who had an email address know that day, which was fun because I think three of the people that didn't have email addresses uh, were three people that I know don't like me. So I was like, I was like, that's fine. I don't need to talk to them. <laughs> I don't really want to hear their responses to this either. Um, gave my two weeks notice on Sunday, at which point, you know, everybody under the age of 50 was really excited sad to see me go really sad to hear about this uh i had an audible gasp uh wow. and, yeah and it was amazing uh my mother-in-law and a couple other people that i know like tuned in for this to to listen and it was the best part because we had two services the second service uh he made the comment because i guess somebody asked him during first service why you know we should probably something like this during first service, like we should have asked, like, did you ask him to stay? Did you ask him to like, did you try to get him to stay? And so for second service, the pastor says, you know, people have asked, you know, if we, how, you know, have we asked him to stay? And, you know, I've, well, we tried. What? 
Yeah, so I'm I'm telling people, I'm telling people at this point, I'm like, God is moving me to another place. I don't know where that is yet because he's not shown me that. And I'm like, that's accurate. He's using, unfortunately, you people are the motivation for this move because you don't want to change at all. You don't like the fact that you live in a pandemic and you don't like the fact that, you know, the world is different than it was in the 50s. Um, and because of that, you're looking for someone to blame, which was this associate pastor, the obvious answer, because the this, this secretary had been there her entire life. I've only been there a few years and they just bought and they just hired this new guy. So they had to get rid of somebody. It would be the person that, you know, they wouldn't feel the most backlash from, I guess. Cool. Uh, yeah. And so... Yeah. Oh, my, my favorite thing was that mention, that mention about being like, oh, we tried to get him to stay. I was like, man, you just now lied to the entire congregation during this live broadcast. Good job. (laughs) During worship, you just straight up lied to everybody. Cool. Um, but now, but then since then, like, you know, then I had one last council meeting and I went and told them what I was doing. Like, which is, you know, everything and, you know, finished my time. And the, the, the president was like, you can leave after you're, you know, you give your stuff because we're just going to talk a lot tonight. And I was like, yeah. Cause I knew what one person uh, had felt complete. Her husband had felt completely rejected by the church and had essentially just said, I'm done. And she's mm-hmm. on council. So she was like, I have to tell them that, that their actions had hurt him. Uh, so I like left and then I found out the next day that like they had a very long meeting that night because they had to try to figure out how to cover for all the things I did, which a week ago they all questioned what I was doing. Yeah. And so I'm like, yeah, so good luck. So then I, that, that week, my last week there, I tight, I wrote letters to each of our youth. I uh, typed up instructions step-by-step uh, how to turn on the computer and how to start start their live broadcasts and handed it off on Monday. Wow. That's pretty good. Yeah. Oh, all man. because, all because we were very, ad- my wife and I were very advocate about saying black lives mattered. Oof. Well, that wasn't the only reason. I no, do want to no, point no, 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 that wasn't I, the only reason. I no. do want to point that out. I, I, so, so in my experience, in my limited experience, essentially all of us have the same amount of experience, you know, when it comes to being millennials in the church. Um, in my experience, uh, that kind of activism that a lot of us, let, you know, are uh, – participate in joe you're participating in a, in a, in a ton of activism mm-hmm. right now mm-hmm. uh you know ultimately that the stuff that liam you were doing is frankly more vocal than than me like on social media you know i spent three years uh essentially not using social media in any way like that and and tried to 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 kind of narrow what i was doing and my commitments you know, in teaching moments and in preaching moments and in one-on-ones and things like that. But like in my, my point is this, in my experience, I think that the people that push and prod us away just don't like us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And, and our politics 
uh, and our, you know, and us being vocal uh, and, and our theologies are, are really just excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, because because we, we're not inventing this. You know, this can't be the first time any of them heard people talk like this. Like, like we've all read theologians and pastors and activists from the 60s. Right. <laughs> like, like, this has been around. Like, we're not making this up, you know. We're, we're not. And, and so, you know, I think that the folks that do what, what, you, what happened to you, Liam, um, and, and really take a hard stance against, against you in that way, I think they do it mostly because they just don't like you. You know, and 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 um, would just much rather we aren't around. And, it, um, and I, yeah. it might not necessarily be entirely personal. I think it's that they don't like the younger generation. They don't like anybody who represents to them the fact that like the younger generation is different from what they are um and and challenges them and pushes them and so it's i think it's it is an aspect of of personal um dislike sure probably on some level but it it, like it's like having um i was gonna say a communist but that's not the direction i want to (laughs) go it's just it's it's having like the uh, somebody who they wanted to trust be the embodiment of something they fear, right? They fear Black Lives Matter. They fear that movement. They think, this is what I found this week from my people, um, is that they thought that I was being involved in a domestic terrorist organization by asking for the statue to be moved safely to another location. Um, they're like, well, you're, you're there with other people who want to burn the country down. The man who came by in the truck accused me of going out and burning the country down. Now to be like, no, like members of our group own local businesses. We don't want to burn down local businesses. We want to make the community safer so that we can actually bring more business to the area, which feels gross that we're, we're bowing to that argument, but, um, I'm the only loud Christian in the group, so I'm not going to fight on that. But like, yeah, they really think that we are um, uh, the Black Panthers, but better at social media. Like the fear they had of the Black Panthers is the fear that they have of Black Lives Matter. And so when you say that you're supporting that, I mean, they think that you want to burn your churches down. Yeah, I can understand that. And you know, do you need They accuse me of wanting to go after <laughs> libraries next. Mm. Yeah, that's not true. We love libraries. Yeah, I, like, I, I I'd actually be I'd actually be okay if there was only libraries, and we that have was more it. than one librarian in our group. So, <laughs> yeah, no, but like that. This is uh, this has been a week where, once again, I've just been so disappointed in the institutional church. Like, I wanted to organize a vigil for um, the the man who was killed by prison guards. And I went to somebody who I thought was really going to be an ally on it and another pastor in the area. And she was like, well, you know, I just, I, I'm not sure how to lead my church through a time like this. And so I'll show up to it, but I, I don't want to be involved in, in planning it at all. And I'm like, well, 
all we're doing is mourning a person's life. Like I, I, and I understand that it's a black person's life who was, who was killed in the, the prison system, which is, you know, killing black people left and right. But like, just show some courage. And this was a person who like does really well in ministry and, and is thoughtful is on boom, you know, does a lot of really great stuff, but was like, you know, I, I don't think I can take this stance right now. And that's just what the institutional church is. So like Liam, as much as I am flabbergasted by the toxicity that's displayed by that congregation, I'm not surprised that this is what they decided to focus on. Yeah, it's really honestly sad. And and also because we have, I think it was before, right before I preached, I want to say in like April, uh, I had a conversation with one of our congregants who had gone there for years. Um, and he was like, man, I really wish we had more of a discussion about Black Lives Matter and about the racism that's happening in our country because I see racism in our church. Mm. And I was like, you're going to like my sermon. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about that today. So that was unintentional. Thank you, God, for, you know, showing that to, to him and to me that, like, th- this is a conversation that people in our congregation wanted to have, but it's just not the uh, those in authority that want to have it. Right. Yeah. And right. that's that's the thing. Um, yeah. So... I'd like to reflect on two things, mm-hmm. uh, Liam, if that's okay. The, the yeah. one thing I want to reflect on is um, kind of moving for just a second, bracketing the, um, you know, kind of political racial things to, to the side just for a second. I am what, – what does shock me, even though I shouldn't be shocked, is just how unethical the entire thing was, you know, yeah. like, like on one uh, churches are full of people with a ton of different beliefs and opinions. And, and I might, I might have a differing set of beliefs and opinions and different church people. And I might think that, that, um, you know, the, the, the fear surrounding black lives matter and and the the you know embedded racism that that we all but 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 many people face uh really needs to be wiped out and really needs to be eroded Mm -hmm. i i I might think that and i might think that that's not a a good enough it's not it's not correct to say well that's just another opinion like like i'm prepared to say no that's a bad opinion that's a wrong opinion we need to we need to dismantle that that's all fine i i'm prepared to do that but like there are churches and institutions that that know that that kind of behavior that the people in charge your senior pastor telling your wife to leave you know the the secretary coming right in and and just prepared to unload on you like like that is unethical incorrect unprofessional behavior that that like when we approach our our the job of pastor as a job and when we approach the jo- the work of the church as a nonprofit like we try to do sometimes on this podcast like that's something that i'm struck by like like woo like the systems of of governance and conflict management and and the way you know an organization should be run that is so deeply unhealthy mm-hmm. um 
that that like and it only leads as you've experienced to like not only you know bad crap that you and your wife experience but like that's the kind of stuff that like permeates into every aspect of the church where and and continues to alienate visitors potential people that want to get involved people who are already involved like like it's it's just a death knell for the church um for any local church and so that's like one thing that in your story really like stands out to me because that's part of our training as as pastors as as receiving mdivs like part of the mdiv training is to identify that and to be able to to try to make a system healthier or 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 help a system be um be healthier so that's one thing that i see yeah um wow um the other thing that that I just want to throw out there is I think that there is a, a sense in which, and I think that you, you and, and your wife experienced this really directly. There's a sense in which um, black lives matter and, and a number of other kind of political policies or stances that we have are politicized to such a degree that that they're presented as pure politic, like like there is merely politics and merely political thinking. That and and really what what folks mean when they say that is it's it's uh, um, driven by political tribalism, driven by money in politics, driven by partisanship, driven by all that stuff. That's really what people mean when they say it's politicized, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what we know as pastors and what you've alluded to in Liam in your story is we have these stances, A, for really deeply theological and spiritual reasons, mm-hmm. you know, that and B, because this is what makes us effective pastors. Like the reason why I am one of one of the chief reasons why I personally am in such favor of full LGBTQ inclusion is a for theolo- deeply theological and spiritual reasons, but b I have queer folks that I am responsible for. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have queer folks who I am their who I was their pastor, you know, and and mm-hmm. and and I'm I'm responsible for shepherding them and caring for them and leading them and guiding them and loving them, and so. This is absolutely a pastoral issue. It, it is absolutely a question of uh, how effective can I be as a pastor? Um, and it's the same thing with Black Lives Matter and, ra- and, and questions surrounding racism. These are deeply, of course, we, we have the beliefs we have for deeply theological reasons, but also because we have people of color that we are, uh, uh, not only people of color, but 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 anyone is affected by racism. Everyone is affected by, by injustice. And if we are pastors that are going to be effective, we have people in our charge that are being victimized by these powers mm-hmm. that we need to care for. Yeah. And so I, I, I just want to, and you, and you show us that, you know, in your story that like, well, no, I, I, I am so vocal about this, not because I'm somehow caught up in in this wave of political tribalism or or i'm caught up in this movement to burn things down 
no, it's, it's really very simple. I, th- this is how I pastor and love people. And, and to, to, you know, to, ref- to borrow from what you said, Joe, to kind of take the path of, well, I'm not sure how to lead my church during this time. You know, not to not to badmouth a past a pastor in your life that I don't know, but like to take that stance to say mm, no it is is in many ways to be irresponsible is to back away, uh, you know, uh, from the role of the pastor and say mm, I don't know if I'm prepared to care for people in that way, uh, even yeah. if that's the way I'm called to care for them. To, to kind of help nuance that, uh, she is doing small group studies in her church. There, there are no black people in her church. Mm-hmm. It is a very white church. Um, uh, and so she's doing small groups for like people who were already interested in learning to like help mm-hmm. nudge them mm-hmm. forward a little bit. Um, but I think she like, like many people in the generations above us, think that their responsibility is to um, nudge people toward being better. Even if that means that uh, black and brown lives are still at stake, we can't really disturb these these white people because then they're going to leave the church and then they're not going to grow and then they're going to be upset. And, and like, I know that feeling because I have that feeling a whole, whole lot all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's what I've heard uh, from several people who are a little bit older, not saying that all people who are older than us are like this, but that was a common theme in some of my conversations of you're pushing too far too fast. People aren't ready for Black Lives Matter. People aren't really ready to admit that, that racism exists. And so you can't, you can't push them that far because they're not going to respond to it. And I, um, I hear that and I don't have any sympathy for it. Like, people are dying now, and if you can't recognize that, then you're not with me, and I need, I need to go where I am being called to go. And if that means not being in the, the placement that I'm at, then that's what that means. But I, I don't think it means that. I think that that just means that we're going we're gonna to grow real fast, and it's gonna, there's going to be some growing pains, but that doesn't mean we can't get through it. Sure. Who knows? But as, as Liam's story demonstrates, uh, sometimes you can't get through it. And it, it, it really is, I am most angry with your senior pastor mm-hmm. because your senior pastor is not only in charge of the congregation, he's in charge of the staff. And he's mm-hmm. there to care for his staff and advocate for his staff and be on the side of his staff. And if he wasn't going to do that fully for you, he should have told you. He should have been like, I disagree with you. I can't support you in this. You're on your own. There should not have been any half-assing that. Like, yeah. you were betrayed by the person who was supposed to be there caring for you. Yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, man, if it, if it now... I'm I'm somebody who if if you if people want to just bash on me, I'll pretty much like I'll that's fine. I bash on myself harder. You can't whatever you say it doesn't matter. I'm the worst. I'm my worst critic. It's really whenever they uh, when they went after my wife, mm-hmm. uh, they like a lot of the posts that people were very angry about were hers, uh, and she was told when she made posts that if other people had made it, it might not have been an issue, but the fact that she did it, that was, that's, that's unacceptable, which doesn't like, 
yeah, she was my, she's my wife, but you, she's not on the payroll. She's just another congregant. Like, yeah, they went after her relentlessly. Not as bad as, as some other people we know, um, because they always tried to keep it civil. But well, until this past week when I posted, uh, simply saying Black Lives Matter, I, there was a congregant who got a little out of hand. Uh, not a little. He got out of hand. Uh, he got out of hand and I decided not to delete any of his comments because they, I, I've in the past I've deleted his comments uh, to shelter him from the onslaught of like reality that is that people don't agree with that and he should have learned that by now but i just couldn't do it this time and so he got he got you know countered by uh quite a few people and he then just yelled he then just yelled at people and it was unfortunate to see yeah i um for as much of a tool as social media can be, it is not the most effective tool to have life-changing conversations. Nope. Right. And I, uh, for a while, for mo for most of my life, my Facebook has been private with like the occasional public post that I felt was, I mean, usually it was astronomy stuff. So who's going to be upset at me about that? Um, I would. Well, I don't are... like astronomy. Okay. It's a tool. It's a trick. Right. It's a trick and from Satan. Right. And so now I uh, have been sharing when I was trying to like show people here that I was okay. Cause we would look at people's Facebook profiles to see if they, they were okay to be in the group if we didn't have a personal connection with them. Mm -hmm. And so I shared a bunch of like black lives matter. This is the situation for like, I just shared a lot of stuff to be publicly to be like, I'm fine. You can have me now. Uh, but now that that's over, I really want to set everything back to private because mm -hmm. It's, um, it to me is not worth the, the witness of my social media publicly is not worth the headache that's going to come along with it for me. And I know that other people make other choices with that. And, and that's, everybody has to make their own considerations, but I just, I don't want somebody screenshotting my Facebook posts and saying, why did you share this? Uh, and coming after me like that, that let's, that's the other piece of this is that, people allowed tension to build up. And mm. instead of coming yep. to you at the first knee jerk and being like, you said this and I'm not sure I'm okay with this. Can you tell me like in good faith, can you tell me why you said that? Um, instead, it's just making assumptions about where you're coming from, assuming that you want to burn the country down, maybe not necessarily, but like assuming that you were wanting to do something that is really combative and harmful when really like that's not where your heart's at at all. If they would have just come to you in the first place in like kindness as a sibling in Christ, as Christ instructs us to do, then this would have been resolved very differently yeah, and it yeah. would not have built up to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is the unfortunate thing. And I mean, before, before this whole thing started, I knew my time at this church was coming to an end, but this just kind of sped everything up. Mm -hmm. Sure. Sure. Well, we are uh, at, at podcast episode length, I would say. And I think that the conversation's drawing to a close. So Liam, do you have any, um, 
any piece of wisdom, anything that you've taken from this situation, any, do you have any hope left or are you, where are you at with all this? Uh, I, I, I do have hope. I do have hope in the church, probably not as it is. Mm. Uh, the church does need to come to reconciliation with, especially the church in America has to come to reconciliation with the racism in it. Um, so I still have hope for a lot of congregations that are really addressing this issue and really confronting the racism in their own pews. Uh, I am taking a time off of ministry for at least the, the, the church aspect of ministry. I'm looking at other ways, but you know, I, that, that is very much uh, a struggle has, has been this past couple of weeks has been the question of, do I want to go back into the firing squad? Yeah. I would, my, my recommendation to people uh, is actually something that Ethan messaged me about not too long ago. Uh, addressing, no, not when, whenever you're addressing the topic of, of white supremacy and racism, you address it in the, in the vocabulary with the people are enslaved to it. Mm-hmm. Our congregations are enslaved to the concepts of white supremacy. They're enslaved to racism. In this way, you can show them not a, you can talk to them not as them being racists and they can feel uh, attacked, but in fact, you are walking beside them trying to pull them out of the mire that they're in. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know how I might have changed that uh, at approaching this particular congregation, but I do hope for the youth there and I hope for the families there that they can keep having the conversation because they have started Bible studies and book studies on the topic. Uh, So I'm hoping those conversations that my wife and I started can really keep going and gain ground there. Good. Well, that's a good good hopeful place to leave it. I think. Ethan, you want to sign us off? I can. Friends, this has been an episode of What the Hell is a Pastor? We are Ethan and Joe and Liam, and we will see you next time. (laughs) 